As Dean comes to read the scripture this morning, again, with a yellow list, that kind of list in your hands, I chose this scripture this morning simply because it is Jesus describing nature. Jesus saying, look beyond yourselves at the things of the earth and, and what has been created. If our kids didn't ever get outside, how in the world would they know what the lilies of the field might look like? or even smell like, or even feel like, or what the calls of the birds of the air may have been. But Jesus describes God's relationship with us through these kinds of metaphors, and it's very rich as we talk about some things this morning. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, Add a single hour to your span of life. And consider, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring wearies of its own. Today is trouble enough for today. Holy wisdom, holy word. I will now admit to you that I am a Cairo radio listener. And it was on Cairo that Luke Bur- in Luke Burbank's show, uh, uh, I guess it was about a week and a half ago, that I heard Luke describing his childhood. And then I heard Dave Ross describing his, and I heard others describing theirs, Dory Monson and others, um, growing up in this area. And it, 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 it had me kind of hanker back to... Uh, my years growing up just down the road here, just off 172nd and 8th. And the, the years before St. Peter's had a building and we were still in portables. And, and what a, almost an idyllic kind of time it was for late elementary school and into middle school. Because just behind the parsonage, just behind the house, was this huge, it felt huge then, area filled with wonderful big trees. And we would go out, and we, we would leave kind of first thing in the morning, on Saturdays particularly, say goodbye to mom. Dad was probably off doing something else. And you know what? My mother would not see us until we heard the beam and whistle 
which is this incredible thing that my dad can do. Um, the beam and whistle, which says it's time for dinner. Never checked in, never called, no cell phones. And what we were engaging in in those years was, I said, the building of, in some cases, seven-story tree forts, which got higher. I see the panic looks on people's faces right now. This is good. And then we would dig traps for the fierce animals that would come and attack us in those tree forts, parents. Um, and, and we would go off, and the field right on the other side of the property was filled with, with grass that was about, for us, shoulder-length height. And we would spend hours upon hours playing hide-and-seek, which for some of us was easier because found out that all you have to do is follow the, the grass that had been you know, beaten down to find out where they were hiding or building forts there. Or we would ride our bikes forever down some of the hills, down toward Lake Sammamish. Yes, crossing roads like Northup and West Lake Sammamish Parkway to get up to one of the parks where we could finally find the water. And guess what? We'd go swimming, and our parents weren't there with us. What's happened where those days seem now so distant? What's happened to those, those times where we could imagine that big field being the sea in a pirate ship? Or those times where those tree forts were us trying to survive the rigors of the world up against whoever the enemy was for that day. What's happened uh, to our society? And I want to I talk a little bit about that today. But I will tell you, this day is always difficult for me and I think most members of my family. Uh, I've I preached about my mom and what she, what she has done and why she is such a hero of my life for many, many years now. And finally she said, okay, enough's enough. And that's my mom. My mom was severely, and I will not go into the horrific nature of the abuses that she suffered at the hands of her mother. And I meant what I said earlier in the service. She made a conscious decision when she found that she was pregnant with my older brother, her first child, that she would not continue the cycle of abuse that had been such an incredible, an incredible cycle throughout her whole family history, that it would end with her. And it has. It has. It's a hard day for her to think about her mom and in any way celebrate what her mom brought to her. And again, there are years where I've gone into detail. I'm not going to do that today. But just suffice it to say, they were horrific, horrific things. Those two things came into play as I thought about the sermon this morning on this Mother's Day and the fact that now, in addition to Mother's Day and all the material that comes out from many mainline denominations, it is no longer just called Mother's Day. It is also called the celebration of the Christian home. A celebration of the Christian home. And what's been fun is to look back, and particularly at our congregation, and all the amazing configurations of what a family is, as represented in our Christian home that we call Aldersgate. And here we are this morning, and and I want to talk a little bit about this. So, you know, one of the things that deepened it yesterday was 
all these chairs were pushed back, and right there in the center of this room was this. Now, I asked Meredith's permission to be able to share this with you uh, this morning. Meredith was baptized yesterday, and there were folks from the confirmation class and other friends that were there and family that was there, and baptism becomes one of those family rites of passage for us as Christians, that we enter into this time of, 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 of relationships, and not only are we received into this family, but when you're Meredith's age, also making a decision that this is a time where you have chosen to step in more deeply, right? And so, still remaining here this morning is the water. And some combinations of other waters from around the world have now been added to this to signify that we too now are a family of faith with an additional member. And then next week we go deeper as we bring our confirmants in to this. So the other thing that I did in the midst of this was I wanted to find out, you know, in a much more deep way, what does family mean? So, of course, what I did in, in my own way is I went back, of course, to Webster's. That's a dictionary. And you can get it online. We'll go there in a minute, too. This is what Webster said a family is, or what, what family means. Family is a fundamental social group in society typically consisting, typically, I love that word now, typically consisting of parents and their offspring. Number two, two or more people who share goals and values, have commitments to one another, and who reside in the same place. Number three, all members of a household under one roof. And number four, a group of persons sharing common ancestry. Before I came to Aldersgate, I received, as I've shared with you before, about a 30-page document. I can't tell you how many times the word family came up in that document describing this church. This church truly is a family in the best sense of the word. But what that means is as a family, as we gather in one place and as we share a set of values, as we share community, as at least once a week we come together under one roof and share a common ancestry as we look at the book that guides us. There are other things about family that are important. And I want to deal with those in just a second as then we kind of make a turn toward your handout. Every family, well, before I get there, I want to remind us that, that part of my background is in what creates health in families, what creates health in communities, what places children and youth at risk, and what can communities, including churches, do to reduce risk in our kids. So the study that I'm going to cite a little bit later is a significant part of what we were exploring here in Seattle in this place called Developmental Research and Programs. And we're going to go there, but let's talk family for just a second. If we are a family of faith, and I believe that we are, what we have to remember is that every family, every family deals with conflict. I think. Every family here ever dealt with conflict? I guess the bigger question, any family here that has never dealt with conflict? I'd like to see you in my office this week, and let's have a conversation. The, what separates a healthy family from an unhealthy family is the way in which they deal with that conflict. Right? It's the way in which they deal 
with that conflict. Every family creates memories. What separates a healthy family from an unhealthy family are the memories that are created. Every family, in some way or some way, has accomplishments. What separates out a healthy family from an unhealthy family are the accomplishments that may be celebrated or honored. We are a church. If we are a healthy church, we deal with conflict in healthy ways. We create memories for all of those who come into this place that can be very positive and uplifting and even fun. And we look at goals and accomplishments in a different way than maybe some other places might. So let's, so let's talk. There's a study, and if you read my blog this week, you, you heard me talk about this. Again, what our, the role of the company in which I was involved before becoming a pastor was all about creating health and, and, and what created kind of unhealthy things within a family or community. We'd heard about what Great Britain was beginning to explore. Even 22 or 23 years ago, had heard about some of what was being kind of this groundswell of what Great Britain was taking on. Now, about 20 years, 22 years later, this has been clearly identified, and what they, what they identified was this, what they called the cotton wool generation. Cotton wool children. In first service, I had pictures of, that, that came directly out of some of the websites around this. Co- the cotton wool generation is this. It is this generation of children that we have so profoundly sought to protect that we don't want them to experience failure. We don't want them to experience risk. And so what we have done is surrounded them with all kinds of protective aspects where no longer do they have the opportunities that maybe we had as children growing up. Here's the problem. Out of that, we have created a generation of child obesity that we have never seen the levels of before. We have created a diminishing understanding of helping children with their imaginations because we have not allowed them to imagine and play in ways that may be as healthy as they might be. We have created a generation of children for whom coping skills have become a deep, deep challenge because we don't want them to lose I'm looking right at Sarah right now. (laughs) We don't. And yet, let's talk about the reality of life. What's interesting to me is that the studies, and I have these, let me just, I'll start passing these around. The studies around the cotton wool generation were begun, and the... um, the recommendations around those were not begun in Great Britain by the school districts. They were not begun in Great Britain by the therapeutic community. Do you know who began the ideas around overcoming the cotton wool generation was the business community. The business community saying that we are creating a generation for whom business later on in their lives is going to be incredibly challenging because they have not learned how to cope, they have not learned how to fail, and they have not learned how to risk. And that's what's happened. Gene, let me start 
I'll start that one around here. Over the years, then, what they designed, uh, and it's just been an interesting design, is what they've designed is this amazing list that I would like to have you now pull out of your bulletins. It's that kind of goldenrod piece of paper. There are 50 things to accomplish before you are 11 and 3 quarters years old. I couldn't resist, so I added 20 more. You know me. I'm just going to do this. Um, And so I added 20 more. I would like you to just look at this list for a moment. Look at this list for a moment. Everything that they're hoping every child in Great Britain will accomplish by their 11 and 3 quarters birthday. Do you notice some consistent things about this list? How many of them are outdoors? How many of them ask that they touch or observe or experience those things that are surrounding them? How many of these things may be placing them, I know, at risk? I remember, again, as a child, some of the things I didn't share with you is we made, <laughs> we made zip lines as children from the highest tree that we could find down to one of our tree forts. And you know what we used to attach ourselves to those zip lines? Bicycle handlebars that were just bent somewhat. Uh, I remember the first time I went down this. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Brad. I don't know why, but... <laughs> But, but it slipped, so it went this way. So the whole route of the zip line, which is about 40 feet off the ground, took every ounce of skin off my left thumb by the time I could drop off. I know, ow, right? But, you know, it's still a great memory. It wasn't great at that point. I have scars from throwing pieces of sheet metal to see how far up we can. I'm not saying all these things are smart. But look at what they've done, is they create in us, you know, the ability to examine what's really idiotic and what may be sound. It's amazing. In first service, what I asked people to do was gather in groups. I I know better than to ask many of you in this service to gather in groups. But I have an assignment for you. And I am very, very serious about this assignment. I would like you to look at this list, and I'm going to take a a, a few moments in our time to give you a few moments to look at this list. Now, let's talk family for a second. If we are truly the family of faith, the family of God, we play multiple roles with everybody in this church, including every child in this church has multiple grandparents, and in some cases, great-grandparents, aunts and uncles. And if you haven't experienced some of these things with a child, maybe it's time to schedule some time to assist a child in accomplishing some of these. If you have not done these, and I just want you to get a doctor's note first, (laughs) you think I'm joking. (laughs) should have heard the, I mean, some of our 75 to 80-year-olds this morning in first service saying, you know, it's been a long time since I've rolled down a hill. Just be, be a little cautious, would you? But we can do these things together. But what I'm asking of you also is to think about doing these things as individuals. I don't care how old you are. And by the way, let me remind you, as you leave the church today, I would like you to look around. Not inside the church. Outside the church. 
and the creek that is right down here could replace the exploration of a tide pool. However, there's something mystical about a tide pool. People ask, what is bouldering? Bouldering is climbing a rock. Climbing a rock. And here's what I'm asking. No ropes. No ropes. But climb a rock. Climb a tree. Climb a hill. Roll down a hill. Look at this and experience as you do what this brings. And we commit ourselves to the church. So your assignment is specifically this. I need you to accomplish 20 of these between now and the end of summer. And if you don't experience them personally, help someone else experience them. Choose which ones, but experience 20 of these. And I include the 20 additional that I have placed in here. I have 70 things that I'm asking you to accomplish. 70. By the way, that's a holy number. As my revelation class will tell you, seven always represents the combination of heaven and earth. Three represents heaven. Four represents earth. And seven or 70 represents the ultimate combination of those things. I'm asking heaven to meet earth in these experiences. 20 of these. 20 of these before the end of the summer. Then I'd like you to prioritize the next 30 of these. The next 30 of these 70. And those will be the accomplishments that I'm asking you to take on individually as families and as a church in the 2013-2014 school year. By the way, this is not the only time you're going to get these instructions. I'm going to bring this up over and over and over again to see how we are. 20 things, summer, 30 things next year, 20 things a year from this summer. So what does that mean? It means you're going to have to make some decisions around which ones of these things you're going to accomplish first, which set of these things are you going to accomplish next. And you know what? I get that for some of us it's really hard to take a camping trip out in the backyard. But I'll bet there are families that would help you do this. With some really, we have found at REI one of the most wonderful inventions that I've ever seen, which is now called the Comfy Cot. (laughs) Experience these things. Because only then will our children, when they hear the scripture that you heard Gene read, be able to hear in their minds the sounds of the birds in the air. Only then will they be able to have experienced by smell and touch those tactical ways of the lilies of the field. We are the family of faith, and it's not all about Bible and spirit. It is also about experience. 20 this summer, 30 next year, 20 in the following summer. Please take me seriously about this. Please ask each other how you might help another experience some of these things. One more asterisk to these. One of the older women in first service said, can I just check off the ones that I've already accomplished? And my answer is absolutely. Absolutely, but, 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 
Don't diminish your role with someone else who may need to experience it with you. It is part of what makes us the family of faith. Will you pray with me? God, we, we come to you knowing that you ask us to experience life, to experience creation, to experience this world that you have created in such abundance. And we live in a place where it is so readily available. We ask that you assist us in this time to take this on as a church so that the next generation, to, it will be healthier and that we take that on as our role in this community, in society, to create healthy children, healthy families, healthy youth, healthy young adults, and healthy relationships. I ask that you guide us and that you help us take this list very seriously. All this I ask in Christ's name. Amen.